listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast, and I'm thinking I need to come up with a new intro and a new a new start to the podcast episodes because that might be getting a little old. Anyway, moving on. Welcome to episode number 38, entitled Instinct. Last episode, we talked about intuition, and intuition was my start into a foray of was a deep dive in looking into what are the feelings, the senses of spirituality? What are the things we feel revolving around this world known as spirituality, this other health body that I've talked about many, many times that I don't understand? What is the extrasensory depth of the human system that allows us to have this thing known as a spiritual body or a spiritual form or a, a something other. You know, we've talked about the physical form, the, the human system. We've talked about the men, the mind, the mental body. Now we're talking about the spiritual body. And I think there were, well, I shouldn't say anything. There were a couple things that popped up when I started to kind of ponder over all this. A couple different ideas that started to, to kind of ferment in my mind. And one of those was what I thought I was going to go with on this episode, but I, I feel like we need to slot instinct in here first. And that was to talk about um, insight, divination, if you will, uh, the, the practice of divining. But before I get into that, I think I need to better define or understand instinct. And with instinct, I have two other words that I kind of want to add in to you know, maybe make a little bit more sense of all this. So let's start with the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, as always. Definition for instinct. It's a two-parter, and part two actually has two parts. And we're actually going to bring in the adjective here, but we're going to start with the noun. The noun instinct, a natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity. A naturally or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity. That's, that's nice. It's clean. I like it. But let's move on. I, I, I kind of want to get into a little bit of the murky muddiness of this word. And that I think we find here in definition number two, a, a largely inheritable and unalterable tendency of an organism to make a complex and specific response to environmental stimuli without involving reason. Now in last episode, we talked about intuition and how that kind of supersedes reason and logic as well. It's just kind of knowing something instinctually, that idea. So intuition kind of leads into instinct, but let's let's throw part two B in here just to round everything out. Behavior that is mediated by reactions below the conscious level. Ooh, here we are. We have talk about the conscious level. Talk about the things that are beyond our normal patterning. This has to do with the autonomous nervous system, as I've mentioned in the past. It has to do with. Um, all sorts of things that might fall under what we call animal instincts, uh, the lizard brain, hippocampus, those types of things, the survival inst instincts. That's the word right there, instincts. Jumping back here, though, 
let's let's take that. So behavior that is mediated by reactions below the conscious level. Okay, let's keep that in mind as we get farther into. I'm going to break down this two A definition. A largely inheritable. Perfect. Let's stop right there. A largely inheritable thing. What what's that? That could be genetics. You know, the study of epigenetics talks about that. It could be genetical. It could be, this is the realm of things, you know, the animal instinct side of things. Like, how does the bird know how to fly when the, you know, mom's like, get out of the nest, figure it out. How does the, you know, the gazelle, how does the giraffe know how to stand on its scraggly little legs after it's just born? How does the gazelle know to see the lion and go, ooh, I don't want none of that, and run away? How does the lion know to go, ooh, that looks tasty, I'm going to fucking eat it? Um... How do they know these things? So that's the largely inheritable. I'm going to go ahead and say inheritable has something to do with genetics, epigenetics, those types of things. I talked about last episode, I talked about Ken Wheeler um, and his idea that water, the water molecule itself is the dipole molecule and how that uh, is how we pass on traits essentially through water. Very interesting idea. But let's move on a little bit. A largely inheritable and unalterable tendency. Unalterable. Well, that goes back to that, that second, that 2B part. Behavior that is mediated by reactions below the conscious level. The con- Below the conscious level is almost nearly impossible for us to alter. Uh, hypnosis likes to try to deal in that realm of things. That only works on certain people. It doesn't work on everybody. Um, there's not much. There's not much that works on the below conscious level, the subconscious. This is the realm of possibly dreams and those types of things. It's the, it's the unalterable part of the body where your animal instincts, your survival instincts is a better understanding of it. That lizard brain or the, the unconscious level of the, the nervous system. So the, the parasympathetic and, and sympathetic nervous system, the things keeping you alive. The body knows not to let you have full control over the heart because at some point in time, you're going to get distracted by a ho-ho and, or a Twinkie and be like, oh shit, I forgot to tell my heart to beat. Fuck. And then bleh. So, I mean, the Twinkie and the ho-ho might kill you anyway. Anyway, um, that's kind of the realm we're dealing with here. It's, it's the behavior that is mediated by reactions below the conscious level. And back to 2A, an unalterable tendency. Well, that's what an unalterable tendency is. Tell my heart to beat. Okay, cool. Heart's beating. Breathing in some cases when we're not paying attention to it. Sending synaptic uh, signals throughout the body using the nervous system itself. Okay, you're not you're not going, all right, finger, it is time for you to bend three degrees, now six degrees, now nine, now 30. Okay, now grab the teacup. Perfect. Hold that position. No, 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 no. We, we don't have to send all those signals ourselves. That's done by the below conscious level nervous system corrections. So it's unalterable tendencies. Cool. Of an organism to make a complex and specific response. That's pretty much what we just talked about. You know, like, okay, I'm going to grab the teacup and bring the teacup to my face hole and drink some tea. Specific response to environmental stimuli without involving reason. That's kind of like what we talked about with intuition last episode, but there's an important distinction here to environmental stimuli. Environmental stimuli are anything that our senses react to. Temperature, taste, feeling, touch, or also 
a whole realm of things we don't necessarily pay attention to a lot. These are the things like that creepy feeling you get before, you know, somebody pops up behind you or grabs on the back of your shoulders and tries to scare you. Um, the tendency of groups to kind of get a, a sense of maybe a tragic event or the ability to read a crowd that a lot of comedians use or public speakers use. These are instinctual by nature. They're almost superpower-esque, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But, but let's add in the adjective definition here to get a little bit better of an understanding. The adjective de definition of instinct is profoundly imbued. So if we think about profoundly imbued, let's, let's step back up the ladder here. So profoundly imbued behavior that is mediated by reactions below the conscious level that have a largely inheritable function and unalterable tendency for an organism, us, our bodies, to make a complex and specific response to environmental stimuli without involving reason. This is the realm of the body placating the shit out of you and you not even knowing about it. So when I talk about self, right, I talk about there's three different pieces to that. There's three different pieces to what we know as self or what I define self as. And that are, those are the, the human body, which you are not. You are just the, you're the mind, you're the consciousness and control of that human body. And that human body has some defenses against you. In fact, uh, Without them, they'd probably be screwed because we're not as intelligent as we like to think we are. Let's break this down a little bit. And we're going to bring in um, two other words to make this a little bit more, more functional. But we're going back up the ladder here. So let's step into the first definition on Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of instinct. A natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity. That's the human system. The human body is an instinctual organism, or really it's an instinctual collection of organisms. They're a collab. They're hanging out together. They're doing things that we have no idea about, nor do we pay attention to because we're too distracted with all the things they're using to get us to do what they want us to do. Our bodies are really smart. They know what they need. They need energy. They need heat. Um, oddly enough, a characteristic of human system is that it needs technology to survive. Get into that at another time, but let's think about how the body placates us. And to do that, because I like to talk about mental health and self-awareness, I'm going to use addiction here. And I'm going to use addiction because I have what I believe to be a little bit different of a perspective on addiction than most do. And remember, I'm not a psychiatrist, not a psychologist, not a practicing doctor, not a professional medical person in any way. So when I look at addiction, removing the connotation, we typically think, oh, addiction's a bad thing, right? Addiction, you know, you can be an alcoholic, you can be a drug addict. Addiction's pretty bad. And addictions do fuck up a lot of people's lives. But I don't look at addiction from that perspective. I look at addiction, removing the connotation. And what is addiction? Specifically, addiction has to do with this instinctual things that we have going on with us. Because what are you actually addicted to? 
Are you addicted to cocaine? Are you addicted to heroin? Are you addicted to alcohol? Are you addicted to cigarettes, you know, to, to tobacco, to nicotine? Are you addicted to sugar? Are you addicted to, what are you addicted to? That question is a much better question. Remember, I don't like to ask why questions. We're going to leave why questions out of those types of situations because we're talking about the human system right now. We're not talking about spiritual. Why questions are the realm of spirituality. So in this case, what are you addicted to? Because you can be addicted to anything in my personal opinion. Here's why. Addiction has to do with a set of chemicals that the body produces to get us to do shit. And often it's a miscommunication between us, this, you know, omnipotent consciousness ruling over what's known as the mental state or the mind body and that whole collection of organisms trying to do their job. And their job is to survive because that's what they want to do. They want to survive. And to do that, they need some technologies like heat, you know, particularly one of those is fire and clothing. And also they need energy. They need this thing known as ATP. Where they get ATP from, they turn calories into ATP, whatever type of calorie that is. Or if it's not on the glycemic index, they might use a, a, the keto or, you know, those are the, this is where we get into diet and exercise and all that stuff. But not to dive too deep into that, let's just look at a basic understanding of what addiction could be classified as in my personal humble opinion. Maybe I'm not as humble as I used to be, but addiction is the balance of the four chemical systems that the body uses, the four major chemicals the body uses to kind of make things work and run. It's how it placates us. Addiction is the realm of dopamine. Because without these chemicals that the, the body can produce, the endocrine system can produce, it can't tell us, us what we call humans, us dumb consciousness, what it needs or how to get it. It has to train us to do that. This is the realm of instincts. This is how the lion knows, ooh, tasty gazelle, I want to eat it. But first, I have to learn how to hunt it. And then I have to, okay, so I got to learn how to run. I got to learn how to, and all of these things. Well, how does the body do that to us, us humans? Well, we get hungry, right? So we, we need to eat. But when I talk about hunger, we as adults, if you're, you know, I think most people who listen to this are adults or, you know, young youth, if that, that's the case, I apologize. I curse a little bit too much, but I'm sure it's nothing you haven't heard already. We understand hunger as I'm hungry. What does that really actually mean? It's a really weird thing to actually feel hunger because a lot of people haven't. Well, I shouldn't say that. A lot of people in the West haven't actually felt what hunger feels like. And to do this, I'm not a doctor, so be careful, consult, whatever, you get it. I've, I have personally fasted. And when you fast, you actually learn what hunger really feels like, what hunger pangs or pains really feel like what it is to actually be hungry. There's a, there's in some cases, there's a, if it goes too long, there's a pain that comes along with it, but there's this empty feeling in the stomach. But before we knew what that actually equated to, there had to be a whole nother process in the evolutionary system of just growing up for us to learn, put food in face hole, idiot, or we're going to die. Cause the organism, the body is saying, I need ATP. I need to do functions. I need to live. Give me energy, you idiot. How does it do that originally? Originally, it gives you dopamine. 
Dopamine is that feel-good drug. Not quite oxytocin. Oxytocin is the uh, the love hormone or the 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 like the real like affinity for things. Like, ooh, I really like this, or or you're attracted to someone. That's oxy. That's the realm of oxytocin. Dopamine, on the other hand, is the is the addiction drug. It's it's what we're actually as humans addicted to because every time we do something that the system likes or wants to use, we get dopamine. Now, there are chemical drugs out there that trick that system. And you have to be careful about that. That's, that's the realm of hard drugs. That's what they're doing. Hard drugs trick your system into producing more dopamine. Typically, depending on if it's an upper or a downer, it's followed by a crash. And that crash is the body trying to tell you, hey, asshole, you're not supposed to do that. Bad idea. You tricked me. I don't like it. Stop doing that. But we don't pay attention to that. We just pay attention to that dopamine thing because we really, ooh, we really like dopamine. We love us some dopamine. Dopamine is that feeling you get when that first tasty bite of that juicy burger meets your lips and you get those sensations on the five different areas of your tongue. And you're like, ooh, that's that umami, ooh, or that sweetness or that, you know, we get all those flavors. We like eating. Eating gives us dopamine. So does all sorts of other things. Hugging someone will give you dopamine. There's all of these different things we get dopamine from that the reality of the situation is we're addicted to dopamine. That's the true understanding of addiction, in my personal opinion, is that we're addicted to dopamine from like the onset. Because dopamine is what the body uses uh, to, to tell us stupid humans, us stupid consciousnesses, that we need to feed it. Because the first time you get a little bit of that calorie taste in your body, you get some dopamine. And it happens every time from then on out. Every time you give your body something calorie dense or calorie rich or very nutritious, we get dopamine. This is actually, in fact, how someone who's stranded on a raft uh, out in the ocean will manage to acquire a taste even if they didn't have it before for raw fish, because you can't cook something in a life raft, but specifically squeamish noticed up front here, plug your ears. If you don't like squeamish things, they will acquire a taste for the eyes of a fish because that's where the beta carotene, the, the high density of nutrients are in the eyes of fishes because they need those things. That's how they, you know, most fish who have their eyes on the sides, looking for predators, that type of stuff. They put a lot of, of nutrients into their eyes. And that will keep you alive if you're out on the open seas, stuck in a life raft. If you throw away those eyes, you're throwing away delicious pieces. So you can actually develop a taste for that. This is instinctual. Because what your body does is goes, oh, you just ate that eyeball? <gasps> There's so much goodness in this. Here's some extra dopamine. Do that again, please. That's going to keep us alive. And it's been doing this kind of shit to you your entire life. You just don't know about it. Because there's three other drugs that go with the whole major mixture. So you have dopamine, which that's the that's the feel good, the yeah, do more of that. That's great. Then there's serotonin, which is the mood stabilizer. It's the, oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling nice. I'm feeling just kind of, you know, chilling. And there's cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone, the oh no. And then we have uh, neuroepinephrine or the precursor to epinephrine, which is commonly referred to as adrenaline. Those are kind of the four big the mixture items. So the body knows instinctually to start using those to tell us stupid consciousnesses, 
how it, what it needs us to do to survive, specifically get calories, stay warm, uh, you know, those types of things. That is instinctual on the, on the physical form side of the human system, the, the body itself. So the body has a natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity. That's its ability to use chemicals through the endocrine system to tell us how, what it needs to survive. So this whole thing of addiction is really you're just addicted to dopamine. That's it. If you want to just base level the whole thing, no matter what your addiction is, and almost everybody has an addiction, you're addicted to do dopamine. Some people get it from working out. You get that dopamine rush. And then also with working out, because it's, it's kind of good for you, you also get a serotonin um, increase as well. So instead of getting the crash, you know, you get high dopamine levels and you get a crash, you get a little raise in serotonin, which keeps that crash from being too much of a downer. Other situations, we just get a, a huge dopamine hit and then a crash. This is what's known as orgasm. In the sexual nature of the human system, an orgasm is a massive hit of dopamine and then a huge crash down from that. And then actually your serotonin comes down, your cortisol goes up. That's kind of what it looks like if you just look at it at a chemical level. So the addiction is really just the addiction to dopamine. You just want a lot of dopamine. You, you want it all the time. That's what the human system wants. The dangers of addiction, which are typically where hard drugs come in, is when you've raised your dopamine levels to a level that's unattainable naturally. Your body's not going to give you that much dopamine because there's no reason for it to do so. That's the dangers of hard drugs. That's the danger of alcohol is and even nicotine. You know, anything, you, anything in that realm of things that you can be addicted to, the addiction of sex, any addiction you can think of, the dangerous level of it is because it's giving you an artificial baseline of dopamine. I'm sure there's some science out there to back that up. I've looked at some of it, to be honest, but this is my own personal opinion on addiction. And it's actually how I've beaten some of my own addictions is this general understanding that addiction is an instinct. And that instinct is the human system telling you oh, dopamine, go get it, get some more of it. Yes. All of it. You want all of it. Oh no, your levels are too high and I can't seem to balance them out with cortisol and serotonin because I keep trying and every time your cortisol level gets to a certain rate, you use that addiction again to bring those cortisol levels down because you don't want to feel stressed. You want to feel better. And this is this dangerous cycle you get into. Remember, we talked about cycles. So that's the mental health and self-awareness side. What's, well, I should say that's the physical form side and the, the, the mental form side a little bit. Let's Let's get into more of the spiritual side of instincts. What do, what do they look like? Well, we're going to bring two other words in here. And I know I, a while back I already said that. It's been like 20 minutes. Um, let's start with, which one of these one I want to start with? Let's start with penchant. The noun penchant. The noun penchant is defined by Merriam-Webster's Dictionary as a strong and continued inclination or a liking. An inclination is kind of like a liking thing. We're kind of liking it. So... A strong and continued inclination. 
Well, that has to deal with the mental state. That, that's really where our, our mental health is in this sense, is these pensions. We can have pensions for things. We can have a strong and continued inclination towards something. And if we don't make ourselves aware of those, they can, they can kind of take over a little bit. But that doesn't necessarily step us completely into the spirituality side of things. This might, though. Let's add one more word in here. Proclivity. Now, I should mention that both pension and proclivity are synonyms of instinct. So proclivity, or proclivities, which is the, the plural, um, it's a noun, and its definition is an inclination or predisposition towards something. Predisposition is an important factor here. There's an additive to the definition here of proclivity, which is especially a strong inherent inclination towards something objectionable. This is the realm of subjective versus objective and proclivity gives us the inclination towards something that's objectionable. And that's an important distinction because if we go back to instinct, we can make a separation between those things that are proclivative, have proclivity, or those things that have penchant or are, are a penchant of ours and those things that are just naturally instinctual because those things that are naturally instinctual, I believe are on the spiritual side of things. You could even say those things are the realm of evolution. And by that situation or that definition, we have to make a giant fissure between proclivity and penchant and actual instinctual nature because instinctual nature, I believe to be spiritual because it's ruled by intuition. And we talked about intuition last episode. So that intuition or that, that level of instinct, if you will, if intuition is the feeling of spiritual nature, it's the feeling something spiritual gives us, be it, Intuition and chaos, creation, order, destruction, all of those different pieces of spirituality I've talked about. If the understanding of that without reason or logic is instinctual nature, then there is a massive separation between the instincts of the human body and the instincts of the mind or the consciousness. So this is where I talk about how the consciousness is kind of the translation point. The mind is the translation point between the body and the other, the spiritual. This is it. So what does it feel like? What does instinct feel like? Well, I talked, you know, last episode about intuition, how some people get the goosebumps on their skin or, you know, get the chill. Uh, ASMR deals in that, that feeling. I also think it has something to do with what I like to call everyday superpowers. And there's not always a feeling behind them. I think there's a comfort behind them. I think there is, and this may be, I don't even know, but this may be, I'm spitballing just a little bit here. This may be where habitual nature turns into dangerous addiction. Because everybody has coping mechanisms in my eyes. Everyone has something they do to cope with the daily bullshit we have to go through. Life is suffering. Choose how you suffer. That makes it a little bit better. That natural coping mechanism 
is again based on these chemicals and it's when our cortisol gets too high and our serotonin drops. Maybe we get dopamine spikes here and there, but we don't get the serotonin to balance it all out. Maybe we just have too much neuroepinephrine running through the system. We're just go, 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 go. Just too much. We've got to crash. We all have that. Life's not easy. So how is it we lose the understanding of our instinctual nature to balance all those things out? After all, we are a product of the universe and the universe knows one specific thing that it does. It finds balance in all things all the time. Pressure, motivation, magnetism. All of these are forces of balance. I've described them before, specifically when I talked about order, the yin-yang system. The universe is seeking balance all the time. We're no different. Our bodies are seeking balance. We're trying to balance out our chemical situation. We're trying to balance out our necessity for caloric intake and also caloric use because that's what caloric intake does. We need to take in so many calories because we're going to use so many calories. Calories in, calories out. A deficit equals weight loss, just so you know. That's that simple. I know it's not actually that simple, but on paper, that's what it looks like. So going back to pension and proclivity to give us, again, give us this fissure separation. Pension, a strong and continued inclination. Proclivity, an inclination or predisposition towards something, especially a strong inherent inclination towards something objectionable. Okay. Subjectivity versus objectivity. I talk about it a lot. At some point, I'll probably have to do a full episode on the whole night, whole thing. But the realm of the mind is where that differentiation happens. And going back to what I said just a couple minutes ago about how the mind is this translation point. So the instinctual nature of the human system is survive. The human body, it's its own thing. It's like a coral reef, a bunch of organisms, cells, all the stuff trying to do its own thing. We're in charge of it. We're its God. We're its omnipotent entity that rules over it. We're consciousness trapped in this mind thing, trapped in this human meat body thing. And we also have instincts. Where do they come from? But better yet, let's ask, what are they? So everyday superpowers, right? Something I brought up. Everyday superpowers are those things you're just naturally good at for no reason. Or those things that you just do better than someone else without even realizing it. Some people make amazing lasagnas. No matter what they do, they make an amazing lasagna. Some people are just naturally, you know, have the superpower to befriend others. Or it's all of these weird inheritable traits in some cases, but almost unalterable. Remember we talked about the second definition, a largely inheritable or un and unalterable tendency of an organism. Some people are just natural extroverts. They're just amazing with people no matter what they do. They don't even really have to try, but they've just always been that way. Yeah, they've honed their skill, maybe honed their practice, but it was just something that was natural for them. That's a superpower. You know, we like to look at superpowers as like, you know, I can shoot laser beams or I can fly or those are extreme ideas of a superpower. There's everyday superpowers. And those should be celebrated in some cases. So 
when we look at instinctual nature, we can start to make a separation between the the lower side of the system. I shouldn't really classify it as lower, but the physical form, the human system, that self, and the mental self, separation, and then the self and the spiritual. Because as a consciousness, we have a whole skill set of instinctual, natural abilities we never ever look at, use, or even delve into. That's the realm of intuition. It's also the realm of, you know, my next topic, my next episode will be uh, about, which is the whole realm of insight, divination. And that too has an instinctual side to it. This is when, I don't even know how to really, describe that idea yet. I'm still working on this one, but let's, let me, let me try to hash it out here. When we talk about instinct, we get into talking about individuals who have other senses, extrasensory, if you will. Those individuals who just have an instinctual ability to know things about you, or maybe other way around. We as consciousness have instinctual ability to pick out people who will benefit us in some way or that we maybe need. We necessitate to talk to them, to, to, to get them to give us insight or you know, wisdom. This is, in some cases, I think people have instinctual feeling towards or gravitation towards elder individuals for wisdom or younger individuals for fun, the, the idea of virality. We have instinctual nature towards our preferences, to be completely um, honest. Most of those though, most of those though are on a physical sense, a physical nature. You know, you can look at the opposite sex and pick out attractive qualities or you know, you can look at, I shouldn't say opposite, you can look at another individual and pick out attractive qualities. But those attractive qualities equate to something. That's the objectionable side of it. That's the, the pension and proclivity side of things. Let's table all those for now. And look at the instinctual side of the mind to inherently look for Things that fulfill you spiritually or give an untangible, unobjectionable, more subjective feeling. That's a feeling of spirituality. That is a feeling of the spiritual body fulfilling itself, getting what it really wants. In some cases, this is ruled by morals and ethics. And in other cases, it's, it's more ruled by silence for some. This is kind of the realm of extroverts versus introverts or ambiverts. It's kind of the realm of, you know, the reclusive individuals such as myself who prefer to spend time alone or not around a lot of people that get a, a great sense of comfort from not having to deal with the hustle and bustle. But there, I know there's complete opposite people that really do feed off of that. So this is the instinctual nature of that to seek out those things 
what we need to do from a self-awareness perspective is start to understand that interplay, start to understand the interplay between the instinctual side of our spiritual fulfillment. And I believe insight, which I'm going to talk about again next episode, has something to do with that, but so did intuition, which I talked about last episode. To intuitively know something is to have an instinct towards it. But the intuitive side is more on the spiritual side of things. You can instinctually know you need to shove calories in your face hole to survive, but you might not instinctually notice your gravitation towards the library or the more well-read individuals who use a specific type of vocabulary or maybe the more boisterous, fun, quote-unquote, individuals who are, you know, again, boisterous and out there and, you know, or the football field or the, or the sports arena, those types of things, those are an instinctual part of us, but the really the realm of spirituality as a translation from the spiritual to the mental mental, we have a tendency to really only look at one side. I think not everyone, but a lot of people, I think do what I do. We look at the reason and logic and the the translation between the physical body and the mental body. And that's ruled by those chemicals. It's ruled by dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, norepinephrine, oxytocin in some cases. There's other ones, but it's ruled by that patterning of the human system telling us stupid consciousnesses, hey, this is what you're doing to yourself, so you got to keep it up. You got to keep doing it. Or you're not going to be anywhere near feeling good. You're going to feel like shit. Because you did that to yourself, you idiot. Stop doing it. But we don't pay attention to the other side of that. We don't pay attention to the, oh, I should stop doing that because I feel like crap after I do it. No, no, no. We only pay attention to the, oh, I want to feel good. We only want to pay attention to that side, the dopamine side. In my mind, dopamine is this like very illustrious, um, I don't even know, very illustrious, uh, not devil or demon type, of, but very like like deal maker, like a like a, a gambler type of you know that's that's dopamine. It's like once more, once more. Here you go. Oh, what do you, what do you want to give me for it? Because I'm gonna. It's constantly making these deals. So that avenue of the differentiation between instincts when it comes to the translation between the mental consciousness, the mental body, and the physical body. That's the realm of self-awareness and mental health in one side. But the mind is the translation point. So what does it look like on the other side? Well, I don't quite know that. And that's really what I'm, I'm doing these episodes about to really kind of better understand. There is some instinctual chemical balancing structure that gets interplayed with spirituality for the physical form. But there's something else, neurologically maybe, or consciously, subconsciously, possibly more subconsciously that happens on the spiritual side when we look for things that quote unquote fulfill us or have some spiritual side of it. I like to think that finding balance has something to do with that. Finding balance really gives us that, that feeling at some sort of level. Because the universe itself is constantly seeking balance, does that asymmetrically. And as such, as a, as a participator in this universe, we do the same. 
So the seeking of balance, the ordering of things, if you will, if we talked about, if we go back and we look at, because I need to probably better use it as a baseline, chaos, creation, order, and destruction. The action of ordering, the action of creation, the action of destruction, even the action of understanding chaos or living in chaos can give us that feeling. And this, I'm going to reference Dungeons and Dragons because I think it's a great game and everyone should play it. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a, a brilliant system for how a character should act morally and ethically um, when it's trying to make decisions. It's ruled by what's known as, um, actually, I don't know what the specific title of it is, but there's a couple categories. There's neutral, um, but there's chaotic neutral, there's... Um, Chaotic evil, there's chaotic good, there's, um, I believe it's order, uh, so there's chaotic order and chaotic, uh, or order, neutral order, uh, good order, evil, you know, there's all these, there's these classifications, um, not to say that I took the ones I used for that, but they have this system that kind of gives you an idea of how to, how to maneuver your character through the interactions you're going to have. There's not much different about us as humans, really. We have a penchant and proclivity towards chaos or creation or order or destruction. This is what makes up the things that we really, really like. In some ways, our chemical reactions have to do with one of those systems. So we have a proclivity toward it. We have a penchant toward it. I dare say we have an affinity towards one of the primordials. One of the defining natures of spirituality, be it chaos, creation, order, or destruction, I believe we all have some sort of affinity towards those. And this builds upon our instinctual nature of how we go about a situation, be it an interaction between two individuals, an individual and a group, groups and groups, or just your interactions with your computer screen, your keyboard, your everyday life, your, uh, the shows you like, it's part of that interplay. But I believe it's instinctual. We inherit it in some way, maybe not genetically from our parents at least, but from the universe as a whole. We inherit some instinctual level of something. So going back to our definitions to, to better understand what I'm talking about here. Not that I don't think you do. It's just I'm also trying to better explain it as much as possible because my mind doesn't always come together in a definable way to help others figure out what the hell is he talking about? So a natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity. Well, if we bring into affinity into that, and in fact, I mean, I probably should just pull up affinity's definition here. Let's do that. We, if, we, if we look at the affinity towards a... Um, one of the primordials. So uh, affinity is defined as a relationship by merit. No. Mm, likeness based on relationship or causal connection. Sure. A relation between biological groups. Um, adjective. Chemistry. Yeah. Likeness based on relationship or casual connection. Perfect. But we can have an affinity towards something. And if we have an affinity towards one of the primordials, let's, let's Let's say that. What instinctual ideas might come from that? What natural or inherited aptitude, impulse, or capacity might come from that? 
maybe an affinity towards destruction might look like someone who's an adrenaline junkie or, you know, really likes explosions and, you know, pyrotechnics and that realm of destruction, but it doesn't just necessarily have to be that it could be someone who has an affinity towards breaking down the barriers between others. They might have an affinity towards the destruction side of spirituality. The whole creator universe, the whole metrics of creators, you can go on YouTube, someone like Adam Savage, um, who I mentioned on the archive, who kind of coined the creator universe to, uh, term, you know, to be a creator, and this whole, well, I'm sorry, makers, he, he coins the term makers, this whole maker universe of all these people who make stuff, they're creators. They they are have an affinity towards the creative, the giving chaos structure and then also, I believe they have a subcategory in the ordering. There's there's makers who maybe are more of the idea-rich, the idea-cultured individuals um, that have this affinity towards or this instinct towards giving something a specific realm to work in, a, a specific framework. And then there's the other ones who also have more of an affinity towards the actual process of doing the making. I believe... Uh, Adam Savage has, he's got a good mix of both, really, but more so leans towards the ordering side of it. I might have that a little bit wrong, but um, I know, you know what? In his case, I believe it's more towards the creation side. He has a more of an infinity for creating. He just knows how to instinctually look at something and get the idea of what the finished product should kind of look like or could be. Whatever methodologies he uses in between those two steps, that ordering process, I think he just kind of likes to have a little chaos and he has a little bit of, well, we'll just figure it out as we go. Whereas we have other people who are really focused on the steps and the, the you know, it's got to be this step, this step. They're the orderers. Then we have the destroyers. And those, again, take the connotation out of it. The instinctual idea of destroying is just putting things back to chaos giving something a finality of idea, giving, turning the anthracite into a diamond and then defining it as a diamond and destroying the idea that it was anthracite. There's a whole side of mental health that deals in that. It's called psychology and psychiatry. It's understanding the destruction of habitual natures to better define oneself. That could be seen as someone who has an affinity towards destruction doesn't just have to be a negative blow shit up kind of person. Um, that negative connotation. It could just be someone who's really good at breaking down barriers between others. Um, I know an individual who has a psychiatry degree who is fascinatingly amazing at that. He just knows how to instinctually break down a barrier between him and someone else and enact some sort of change, if you will or next some sort of connection. So not only does he have this affinity towards destroying barriers, he also has an affinity towards creating connection. So when you look at it from that perspective, I think you can get a better understanding of how instinct it, from the mind to spirit, that instinctual nature is ruled by what I call the primordials. And they give us, the possibility for subcategories, but they give us an affinity nature. So next episode, when I talk about, um, uh, geez, I'm blanking here. Sorry. 
<laughs> when I talk about insight and divination, I'll better go into that a little bit more, or at least that'll be kind of a starting point. But, but looking at it from the instinctual side of things, let's do what I usually do. Let's, let's start asking some questions, right, to better understand it. Let's look at the whole topic from a broad perspective. What are the instincts of chaos? What are the instincts of creation? What are the instincts of order? What are the instincts of destruction? What do they instinctually look like? What are definitions? A natural inherent or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity of destruction. What is a natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity of order? What is a natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity of creation? What is a natural or inherent aptitude, impulse, or capacity of chaos? What do they look like? And do you have one that you specifically like to lean towards? Are you a chaos person? I'm a little bit of a chaos person. I like the infinite possibility of things. I do. I'm also a little bit of a destruction person in the sense that I like to define it. I like to define things, which destroys the infinite possibility. It gives them definition. But would someone call me destructive? I doubt it. But that's on the physical side of things. That's on the, the human system side of things. Because in fact, I like to build bodies up. I like to make people better. But to do that, I need to destroy certain things. I have to destroy adhesions. My massage practice is all about destroying those adhesions, getting rid of them. So in that sense, I'm destructive. But I am better at defining to destroy. But I have an affinity. I have a, a proclivity almost on the spiritual side of things, an instinct towards chaos, towards infinite possibility, to not get stuck in frameworks of creation or to heavily focus on the order of something to make it happen. This makes me, in some cases, not complete certain things You know, in, in, in certain ways. I might really get focused on a specific like doing something and doing it the correct way and then get halfway through and just be like, oh, I gotta get this done. And then chaos, <laughs> just, but also destruction of that, that framework because I just kind of patched it together and piecemealed it. When we talk about these things, I think now is a good time to bring in something like astrology. Astrology is the measurement of, of these affinities, of these instincts towards the chaos, creation, order, destruction, primordials. The, the, the instincts towards our spiritual nature. Because at a deep fundamental level, somehow, astrology encases enough information to be accurate in some way. It doesn't have to be 100% accurate. I really get it. Not annoyed, but... I, I, I guess a little annoyed. I don't quite understand how people, well, no, I do understand that. I don't have a way to say this. There's individuals who just like dismiss astrology because it's not hundred percent accurate. That is like expecting everyone to love pie. I love me some pie. Pie gives me some great dopamine hits. I think pie is more superior to cake. That's my own personal opinion. But I don't expect everyone to like pie. I get it. You know, so 
astrology is not built to be 100% accurate. What it's built to do is to help an individual find self-awareness, to find a better understanding of themselves. But it deals in the more spiritual side of things because it deals with the instinctual natures of the primordials, things that you might just be instinctually or inherently better at or lean towards. You know, I'm not going to go over the zodiac signs, but they give us both sides of the situation though. They give us, you know, what your pitfalls could be, but also what your building blocks could be too. And it's an interesting delve. I think it's an, it's an interesting thing to look at because it can garner more self-awareness. It can give you a better understanding. And individuals, I think, who dismiss it very quickly, they don't want that, though. They're not looking for that. The reason they're dismissing is because, you know, oh, that's hogwash. That's bullshit. They're not looking for a better understanding of themselves. In fact, they're looking for excuses not to get it. Because just dismissing something because you think it's quackery Without even looking at it, and I mean this as you know, someone who dismisses it without even attempting to take a look at it. If you look at it and go, oh, this is quackery, that's fine. At least you experienced looking at it. At least you tried and not just completely dismiss it. Remember, ignorance is it's fine. Ignorance happens to everyone. Willful ignorance is the root of all evil. Willful ignorance leads to bad things. So if someone's being willfully ignorant, I'm just like, ah, just, that's, there's no way I'm ever going to look at that. That's willful ignorance. If you're aware of it, if you've become aware, you're no longer ignorant. To then to then dismiss it without even looking at it whatsoever, that's willful ignorance. And that can lead to, you know, evil. Take that with, you know, grain of salt. But when it comes to this instinctual nature of how we use the primordials, Astrology definitely looks at that. And that's why I want to get into, in the next episode, we'll get into divination and those types of things. But there's astrology. That, uh, actually, why I'm thinking of it, on timmyhendricks.com at the archive, I have some um, links, I believe, to two astrology things. But one of those is primordial astrology. Um and it's uh, this individual who put together a a different take, if you will, and I find it to be fascinating um, the the level of detail that goes into it. But it's a combination of the it's called primal astrology. I forget, for, not primordial, primal astrology, and it's a combination of the uh, eastern and western zodiacs, putting them together and then giving them an, another reference. So it's it's really in depth because it, it breaks all of those um the eastern and the and the western sign so you could have a a cancer snake or uh, an aries uh dragon it puts them together and gives them its own title a, a primal name and the depth there is fascinating so i, I urge you to go over to the archive at tamingindresses.com and check that out see what your sign is and just read through it just get Get an idea of like, well, what is this telling me? What do, you, do I do? I agree to any of that? Do I not? Do I disagree? Sometimes the things you disagree with are the ones you should look into the most because those are the ones that you had a reaction to. But this gives us a better understanding in some cases of our instinctual or inherited natural aptitude or impulse or capacity towards the primordials. And that's the realm of 
spiritual senses, which is what I'm, I'm really focused on right now. I'm really focused on what are the senses of a spiritual nature? What are the senses that are outside of that connection between just the mind and the body? That translation is, I mean, you can't get rid of that translation. Two sides of the same coin, all that duality, triality. But we know those. We've studied them and we continue to study them. No, we do not know everything about the human body. We're actually very ignorant of the human body as a whole system. I think we just recently, within months of me publishing this, um, maybe it's only been weeks, uh, fully mapping the human genome. Like that just happened in 2022, as far as I'm understanding. And I don't even know if we've completely mapped it. There's probably some things we missed because that's what we do. But I think they have, they're now willing to say like, we've kind of completely mapped uh, the human genome as of 2022. So that being said, there's plenty of things out there we don't understand. And I think that that's just on, you know, we have a really good grasp and we're getting better at the, the mind to the body translation or really the translation from the body up to the mind. And we know all the, well, not all, but we know a great deal about the instincts that go on with that. And that's what I was talking about, about the chemical situation with the endocrine system and how the body's really placating us. It's really going, hey, idiot, I need you to do this. I need you to go get me some calories. I need you to keep me warm. The survival side of things. What spiritual survival look like? What is the opposite of that? What is the, what is the translation from the spiritual to, or the other, whatever name you want to put on it, like as I always say, to the mind. What's that translation look like? And what are the senses that go along with that? We know the the human physical form senses. I think some of them transfer over a little bit, but we know touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing. We know all that. But what does that look like on the other side? Instincts has to do with something with this because we use the instincts of the d- definition structure of the of the the cycles of you know oh I hear a car coming I should I should not cross the street that's an instinctual thing we do we smell sulfur or you know we smell one of those you know bad smells and we're like mm, I shouldn't go near that that's instinctual we. Ooh, we get a taste of sweet things, right? Sweet things. The reason a lot of people like sweet things is because sweet things are calorie dense. You get a lot of calories out of them. That's a lot of survival we can do on that little bit of candy, you know? So we might smell something sweet. This is, you know, why we go towards fruit and citruses and, you know, oh, that smells delicious. Or instinctually, we know what rot smells like so we don't don't eat that 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 doesn't smell good and yes at some level these are learned things but we kind of know them as you know children as well so what does that look like on the other side on the spiritual side of things what is the instinctual reaction to something that depletes our bioelectric field if we want to get into like a, a logical reasonable side of the definitions here we know this thing is the bioelectric field exists. Uh, we know piezoelectricity is part of that. I've seen in my own personal study and practice individuals who can affect that bioelectric field. In fact, I practice methodologies to affect that bioelectric field. Um, there's Qigong. There's, there's all sorts of 
quote unquote energy healing systems or energy balancing systems, those types of things. We have seen that as a populace. I've anecdotally can tell you that, yeah, the Delta totally exists. What's the census for that though? Well, I've experienced the feeling side of it, the touch side of it, but it's an extrasensory touch because I don't, it's not touching my skin, but I feel a magnetic pulse or I feel a, a weight or I, I feel something. I'm, I'm actually having a sensorial, a physical touch sensorial effect to that. Well, if we look at microscopically, this is something I learned like way back in seventh grade. So if I'm wrong, you can totally call me out on it. Um, but I have yet to see why I'm wrong. Um, Mr. Hanrahan, shout out to Mr. Hanrahan, uh, seventh grade math teacher. He was a math teacher. I don't remember what grade it was to be completely honest. Mr. Hanrahan, he taught me this. And this, this, this one sat with me for a while. It is impossible to actually touch something. Can't do it. At a fundamental electrical universe level, you can't touch anything. Touch is a sense. It's a sense of a corpuscle that applies pressure to the corpuscles underneath of it that applies pressure to a nerve telling you there's pressure here. The sense of touch is actually just the sense of pressure. At an electrical universe level, everything, uh, remember, I follow theoric physics. Apparently, so did Mr. Uh, Hanrahan. You can't actually touch something because the energy fields between the two things can never be reconciled, and thus they push against each other. Just like, as a, from a sensory perspective, just like taking two magnets and trying to push two of the like poles together, can't push them, you feel a resistance. That's what's happening when you're touching something. There's an energetic field around everything, and your energetic field interacts with its energetic field at a very microscopic level, and you feel touch. That's a thing. So, if that's the case, in a bioelectric in a bioelectric field system, which is what I deal in, something like qigong, that sense of touch from a distance is somehow the instinctual interaction of other of spiritual nature. And thus that is one of the feelings or one of the senses of that translation between spirit, other things we don't know, things we don't understand in our minds. And it totally exists. I felt it. I've done it. Go, you could, you can go look for a practitioner. Well, it might be hard to find in the States, but a real Qigong practitioner or a Qigong healer. Some acupuncturists have uh, some methodologies with it, but you can feel this. I've, in fact, I've taught other people to do so. You teach them how to do, you know, certain breathing and you do uh, the pulsing ball. Um, it's a kind of like a meditation, but it's a practice where you kind of pull your hands in and out. And you, there's, there's methodologies for this, training for it. The whole Qigong practice, Tai Chi practice. That's not just to say that spiritual nature is just this bioelectric field. But it is something we can have another sense to react with. 
And so there must be, this is my rationality for there must be some sort of sense structure to interacting with other or spirit or spirituality or, you know, I'm more likely now to believe someone feels mother earth or has a connection to a tree or I'm more likely to believe that now. I just, I don't necessarily believe the individual, but I believe it's possible. And that's where I come from. My affinity towards chaos. I, everything's possible until we rule it out with logic and reason or some way, or, or a structure of creation is put in place that makes things only orderable. And then I have to destroy that eventually to put it all back to chaos. But it's very plausible that there are a group of individuals or a subset of the populace that instinctually have this ability, that an inheritable trait, where does it come from? How does one master it? What does it feel like? These are all questions I have because if we can start to better understand that, I think we can better not only define spirituality, but better have insight into our spirituality. And that's what I'm going to get into next episode is actually talking about insight and what insight looks like and then how that equivalates to the practice of what's known as divination or those other practices or spiritual practices known as the mansies um, and how they kind of give us an idea maybe of what another sense is. This is what we talk about to give you a little bit of a preview. This is what's talked about when people talk about the third eye, um, you know, or, or looking at with one's mind, the mind's eye. It's in some cases, and I'm going to, I'm going to spoil a little bit of it here. Uh, what is imagination? How does imagination work? Is imagination not the practice of some sense or a simulation of senses involving the realm of spirituality? Are our dreams not spiritual by nature? Are they not simulating the practice of the physical, what we know, what we experience? Is experience not in some cases spiritual practice? That goes back to, you know, other episodes and how that can all be defined through intention and, and, and those types of things. But specifically, again, next episode, I'm going to talk about insight and divination. But along with that, I'm going to speak about imagination and how imagination is maybe a way we can look at spiritual senses or, or better delve into them because I've already been talking about them, but dream states, imagination, all of these things that we tell children to stop fucking doing or in some way we destroy the, that idea or we make fun of the creatives out there, the art, art people out there for doing it, you know, get a real job, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And yes, and to some degree, I, I do kind of agree with that whole, you know, if you can practice your art and make money, go for it. That's awesome. But as I'm always seeking balance, I think others should too. 
if practicing your art makes you destitute and thus you can't practice your art, is it not a good idea or a proper logical, reasonable idea to find something that allows you to practice your art, but also live so that you can do that balance, right? So is it possible pondering that imagination is the way in which we simulate and learn about the instinctual or the instincts of spirituality? Is that not what imagination could do for us? Is imagination that simulation process of, you know, thinking and creating new universes and ideas and thought processes? Is that not the instinctual nature and practice of spirituality? Is it not? Am I onto something here? Who knows? I don't know. It feels kind of like I am. It kind of kind of feels, I'm getting this like intuition, instinctual idea that is the idea of imagination, the act of imagination, the instinctual practice of spirituality, which to give logic and reason, if you really are looking for that type of idea, is that system not a system of simulation? which falls in line with all of the subtext of all of the world religions and, and spiritual uh, spiritual doctrines and, and spiritual practices. That's to say we live in quote unquote, a simulation. We just don't pay attention to our instincts all the time. In fact, I think we learn the opposite. I think for a very long time, mini rant here to finish. I think for a very long time, whatever you want to call them, the powers to be, the cabal, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the, the rulers, the monarchies, the, I don't, I don't have a good term to define them with. The fearful, I think, is what I would call it the most. The fearful are those who want to squash or get rid of the truest practices of spirituality by belittling them, by finding other answers to get around them, to keep them from happening. And that as I've defined already, the fearful are those who don't want you to be imaginative. They don't want you to dream. They don't want you to simulate in your own mind that, that world you live in, that depression of yours. They don't want you to use that. They want you to take, they want to take that away from you. In fact, they want to tell you that that depression is evil. That you have no control over it. You got to take a pill, bro. You can't let that happen. You can't, you can't allow that to fester. You can't they give it all this negative connotation. They just make it evil. When in fact, they're evil. 
They don't want you to understand that your depression is uniquely who you are. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. And no, it's not easy. And yeah, you do need to learn how to control it. It's not, it's not just a, uh, uh, it doesn't come with an instruction manual. You got to figure it out for yourself. You do. But by doing so, by allowing this simulation of imagination to occur, you get to have some sort of experience. And that experience is something I can't define yet because that is the defining nature of spirituality. It's what I'm eventually hopefully going to grasp on to and share with everyone is once I figure it out for myself at least, or maybe you already have and you can share it with me. They don't want you to have that because they're fearful of it because they themselves don't have it. They can't understand it. And they can't control it. And they specifically can't control people with it. So instead, they created organizations to tell you the way in which you should practice it. And anyone who goes outside of that, they're evil. Get rid of them. Don't allow them to exist. Don't You can't question these things. That's not okay. And we do that now as a whole habitual nature of humanity. And yes, I'm getting a little angry here and I'm not angry, but perturbed. We do that as a habitual nature and we continue to pass on the habitual nature to everyone around us. And this is what's destroying society as a whole. And these are the truest natures, I believe of the conversation we're really trying to have to step completely out of my lane, to step completely out of maybe where I'm allowed to talk about. Let's pick a specific person and use them as an example. Because I do truly feel for someone who's in this position. Let's pick someone who believes there to be them to be that person to believe themselves to be in a minority that believes that minority to be disassociated from society. But that person doesn't attach themselves to the general practices of what that's defined by, by society. And I'm not going to put any names or I'm not going to give any contextual nature to it because I just want it to be that idea. I like to just take the connotation out of it. And if I name something or give it some sort of structure, if I create something, it'll, it'll add connotation. So instead I like to live in the world of chaos. So I'm just going to give you that chaotic idea. It's kind of like putting a chaos cupcake on the counter and letting you eat it. I like to do that a lot. An individual whose instincts put them in a group of individuals who they believe to be disassociated to society to be on of an, a, a minority, but they themselves don't instinctually or habitually or, or have proclivity or presence towards what that definition is. And in fact, that individual finds many or even just some 
connections to a different minority, a different subtext, subcategory, fill in the fucking blank here. But they feel like they can't be involved with that because they would lose any connection to an identity that they could have connection to. So they're stuck. What does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds like everything we've done to society to make you, you, the individual listening to this right now, to make you feel like you're all alone. I'm here to tell you that's not true. It's just not true. It's just not fucking true. Because someone else was fearful of what you're capable of. They didn't just put you in a box. They fucking made a bajillion, bajillion boxes. And then put that box in another box and another box and another box and another box and just hid everyone from everyone else. Or made it evil not to fit into their standards. Oh, that's not okay. This is part of why I do not agree with organized religions. But I've said many times that your faith... Your belief structures, they're fine. As long as they don't hurt someone else, they're fine. They're yours. They get to be yours. You can't let someone else tell you what that is. But to take that out of that, out of religion, let's just leave religion out of it. Let's just look at it from a spiritual nature. Your depression is uniquely who you are. And in fact, it's made up of all these instincts you have, these intuitions you have, the insights that we're going to talk about next episode, all of those things you have. Your expression of it is your imagination, your ability to imagine something. And that doesn't have to be colors and rainbows and and crazy characters and and all sorts of otherworldly things and aliens and spaceships and, and other universes. It can simply be the simulation, the imagination of rational thought and reason and logic. Those are okay too. That's imagination. To simulate something in the mind, in the mind space, in the space where we live, our consciousness, that's imagination. So the fearful would prefer you not to have any imagination whatsoever. With that information, I'd like you to look at and use your instincts when you do your experiences in your life and how your imagination could have been stripped from you. And then I'd like you to think about your instinctual nature so that you can get it back because I think they go together. And again, I'm going to get into that more in next episode teaser, um, but that's where I'm at right now. I'm going to keep moving forward with it, but that's, that's where I'm at right now. Instinctually, I came to this conclusion. This was an instinct of mine to, to come into this imagination idea. So I think it is a sense or a sensory apparatus of spiritual nature. And I haven't quite defined what spiritual nature is yet. It's still other to me. It's still something else. Gods and deities and all that could be all wrapped up into it. I don't know. I'm not, I don't make connotation. I'm not putting def- definitions on things yet. Eventually I'll figure out how, but I'm not there yet. 
but it's my instincts. My instincts tell me there is something else. We don't quite know what it is. We can figure it out because we're good at that kind of stuff. That's all I got for you on this one. Head over to the website, check out the archive, uh, specifically uh, do me a favor and go check out uh, Primal Astrology. The um, the general information is all free on the website. I, b- I believe it's primalastrology.com. You can just Google Primal Astrology. Um, not affiliated with them, would love to be, but not affiliated with them in any way. Um, the individual does have some readings on their website. I, I'm not quite sure. I haven't been there in a while. I'm not sure if they're still in business or not. I hope the website's still around. But uh, yeah, check out Primal Astrology and read about yourself, read about your friends, your family. And, you know, I think it's an interesting idea to jump into. And then from there, or, you know, if you don't feel like doing that, please do look at your instinctual natures. What are your instincts telling you? What is that feeling you're getting? What's that gut feeling telling you? Specifically, when it comes to the world of imagination. And again, your imagination it's part of your depression, which means it's uniquely yours. So it doesn't have to be imagining complete other universes and multiverses and, and timelines and all sorts of crazy science fiction stuff or high fantasy imagining yourself as a peasant in the 1700s or, or in a fantasy realm of goblins and, and elves. And that's all fun and great. But if you're not that type of person, maybe it's the imagination of what your life would look like if you got some of the things you wanted or, you know, got more of the things you needed or what a little bit of a happier you would look like or a more content you, I like to be more content than happy. What a more content you looks like imagining those things. And then maybe scribbling out some ideas on how to get where you are right now to that point because your instincts can get you there. And that starts with imagination. We'll talk about that in the next episode. I appreciate you being here with me as always. Take care and uh, listen to the outro because remember, breathing. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.